Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. What's that on the screen? Nope. It's barley. It's barley. Now, how they would harvest barley in that day, they'd have something similar to this, only a wood handle. They didn't have cool plastics back then. And uh, they would have a knife that was a smooth blade, sharpened, and they'd come along and they'd whack at the bottom of it, and they'd, hey, come here, let me show you, come here. Come on, Luca. No. Uh, They'd just whack down low and knock it off, and then the people coming behind, the gleaners would then bundle it up, and then they would load it up and take it. And then Israel had an amazing... Uh, I don't want to leave this in here. I don't want kids being wild. So if I step down without it, somebody say, Hey! Don't say, Hey, dummy. Okay, only Kathy can say that. But uh, say, Hey, you forgot that. But by God's direction, Israel had a wonderful policy for providing for people in need. And how that policy worked is they would come along, the the guys would harvest, and then the gleaners would come along after that, and they'd gather up everything. And then they had a couple of steps they had to take. If, If the grain fell to the ground at harvest time, what were they supposed to do with it? Just leave it, because then the poor people would come along and get it. What were they supposed to do with the corners of the field? Leave it, yeah. So uh, if if this were the field, then over in that corner over there, there is a tree. <laughs> How about that? It's not real. Well, it's real, but it's not growing. Um, if you don't think it's real, then go take a bite of it. It's real. Um, so these trees, they're, they're uh, artificial, not living trees, but they're real. Bad joke, okay? And then back in the corner, there would be so they would leave those and they just harvest in the middle. As this verse said, when you reap your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of the field. When you reap, you shall not gather any gleaning from your harvest. So as they're gathering it up, what do you think would happen to some of those barley heads? They, they'd fall off. They would break off. And they were supposed to leave them. And then he says, why? You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God, Leviticus 23:22. God made this rule in Israel, and it worked out really well. Those who were poor could come alongside, and they could work, and they could gather, and uh, they would get the grain from the corners, and they'd pick up any gleanings from the field that got left behind. It wasn't a hand out, it was a hand up. They were giving people the opportunity to work and labor and gain for their family. And so God gave these laws to Moses 300 years before Naomi and Ruth had need of these laws. Because Naomi and Ruth had nothing financially. They came back from Moab. They moved back. Last week we looked through Ruth chapter 1 at them moving back to Israel and coming back to Bethlehem. Today we're going to be looking in Ruth chapter 2 in just a minute and we'll be walking through some of that. But this law enabled them to be able to get food. And so uh, then there's another rule in the New Testament. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 has this verse. um, Even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. So parents... If you have kids who don't do their chores, don't feed them supper. Doesn't it make sense? They should earn the right to eat at the table. That's true for everybody. See, in their culture and in ours, we have people who just want handouts. They don't want hand-ups. They want handouts. They don't want to do anything. There's all kinds of things on the internet you can read about the need in America for income redistribution. Take money from those who work and give it to those who choose not to. I am all in favor 
completely in favor of helping those in need. There are people who are in need. We should help them. But there are people who just choose not to work. We had a guy that he came here and he wanted money and I told him that we wouldn't be able to help him. We support a program in the city that helps and he said, oh, I tried that and they won't help me. And I said, that we're not going to help you either. That's not how God wants his money and his church to be spent. And then I saw him a little while later, a couple of weeks later, he was down at the library and he's doing some research. He's working really hard trying to get qualified as medically disabled. He didn't seem to be disabled in any way. One of the nice things about our culture in America is that we do help those who are disabled mentally or physically. We have laws that help to protect them and provide for them. I'm happy about that. But we shouldn't give to those who just simply choose not to work. That's a, a different thing. And so we're actually prohibited in Scripture. God expects those who can work to do so as a means of providing for themselves and their families. Sometimes we help people, sometimes we don't. Now part of it is, you, you, you know, you have your own responsibilities. So, there's times if I might really want to help somebody and Kathy really doesn't and we have to figure it out or vice versa. Uh, but sometimes uh, there's a situation where people come to the church and they want help, they need help, and, and we can't help them, but sometimes the deacons or Megan or me, we will just feel like we should do something to help them. And so there have been times when I've opened my wallet and given them all the money I had. I never carry a whole lot of money in my wallet. It didn't make anybody rich, but it did enable them to at least buy a little bit of food and a little bit of gas. And sometimes I have done that. And if you feel the Holy Spirit urging you to give, then give. Help. But if you don't, then you don't necessarily have to. And so in Ruth chapter 2, we're introduced to a wealthy landowner, and he's named Boaz, and he becomes very important in this book and in this story because God provides for Naomi and Ruth through Boaz. God provides through Boaz. So look in Ruth chapter 2. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean hands, heads of the grain after him in whose sight I might find favor. And Naomi said to her, go, my daughter. So Ruth said, please let me go and work. She was submitting herself to Naomi in that culture that was required Yes, she was an adult woman. She was a widow. She had been married. Her husband died. She's now with her mother-in-law. And, and so in our culture, your mother-in-law can't tell you what to do or that. But in their culture, it was a slightly different structure. And it was appropriate for Naomi to approve this and for Ruth to seek Naomi's approval. For one thing, Ruth was a foreigner. This is a new country, new rules. She's adapting to the culture. So in verse number three, then she left, Ruth went out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Verse four, now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless you. All right, let's just try that today. There's certain things that we say in our culture, like Easter Sunday, we always begin with somebody saying, the Lord is risen. Then what do you say? God. God is good. All the time. See, and that's what they did here. This was a normal thing. It was true. It was serious. But it was also part of the routine there. So Boaz came along. And I'll pretend to be Boaz and you pretend to be the reapers. And so Boaz said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. Yeah, that's how they did. So Boaz had a testimony of following the Lord at work. He was encouraging his workers to follow the Lord. We'll look at that a little bit more in a little bit. Uh, verse five, Boaz said to the reapers, who is to the servant in charge of the reapers, 
Whose young woman is this? He saw someone he hadn't recognized before, somebody new to the community, somebody that he had heard about, but he hadn't seen yet. So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, it is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Notice what he didn't say. What didn't he say? He didn't say it's Ruth. Oh, her name is Ruth. See, in their culture, Jewish people were biased against Moabites. In fact, there were rules and laws in Israel to separate the Israelites from the Moabites, that God had designed those laws and rules. But Ruth came desiring to follow God. Remember in chapter 1, she said, Naomi, your God will be my God. She rejected the gods of Moab, and she trusted the one true and living God. And that's why she came. He didn't say, this is Ruth. He said, it's that young Moabite woman. Now, I don't know if he said it with a sneer in his voice or anything like that, but he wasn't respecting her so much. But then in verse 7, he says, she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz walked up to Ruth and said to her, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go and glean in another field, nor go from here. Just stay close by my young women. There were women who were working there. There were women who were helping in the gleaning, helping in the harvest. And he said, you stay close to them. See, in their culture, they didn't have cops. They didn't have police. They didn't have security. The security was provided by the landowner. And so Boaz is now providing security for Ruth to enable her to have a safe place to work so that nobody will molest her or harass her because sometimes some people would do that and especially to a foreign woman alone. And so Boaz was extending his security over her to help her. And then he says to her in, the, in verse 9, let your eyes be on the field which they reap. So follow them wherever, whatever field they're working in, you follow them there. And go after them. Have not I commanded the young men not to touch you? He didn't want any of his workers to harass her in any way. And then he said, And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Now Ruth is overwhelmed by this. She was not expecting this. And so she says in verse 10, She fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? Uh, that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. Maybe in the community there were grumblings against her. I don't know. But she felt very definitely this is unusual behavior. Now God wants his people to welcome foreigners. He wants his people to be open. And so Boaz was. Verse 11, Boaz answered and said to her, it has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. Before she moved there, she only knew one person, Naomi. Verse 12, the Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Now, <clears throat> <clears throat> we do know that angels have wings, right? Some of the angels, some of the seraphim, they have wings. Uh, but God doesn't. God doesn't have a physical body. God is a spirit. God the Father, Jesus Christ, was fully spirit before he also became fully man. So he's fully God and fully man. Jesus now has a body since the incarnation. But God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, they don't have bodies. Um, but when he talks about the wing, have you ever seen chickens and little chicks? And if something scary happens, what do the little chicks do? They scurry to mama and the hen spreads her wings out over them. That imagery is used in scripture often. I remember reading about a farmer who had a fire 
and it swept through and it killed all of his chickens. The fire had swept across, destroyed his plant, destroyed sheds and destroyed the chicken hutch and killed most of the chickens. And he was frustrated and he walked along and he kicked this hen that was on the ground, burned to death. And when the hen flopped over, these little chicks came running out. She had given her life to protect her chicks. And that's the imagery of God protecting his kids uh, through putting them under his wings. So he's speaking figuratively, not literally. But then he says he, that you have come here for refuge. He recognizes this was a spiritual pursuit for Ruth to come to Israel. In verse 13, Then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. She said, I'm a young woman, but I'm not like the other young woman you have around here. And now verse 14. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, so this is later on, they have another conversation. He says, come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers. Now some of you don't like vinegar. So he's not, you know, if you go to an Italian restaurant, quite often they will have a sauce a, a, that has vinegar and oil in it and you pour it out on your plate and then you dip your bread in that. That's good stuff. So it's not like she's taking a piece of white bread, putting a little vinegar on it and eating it. No, it's real bread, good stuff, not that evil white stuff. And then she's put it, I'm a little biased, okay? And then she's putting it uh, in this vinegar-based sauce and that's very tasty and good for you unless you eat too much of it. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. So later on, you're going to see that part that she kept back, she took home for Ruth. Uh, I'm sorry, for Naomi, because Ruth wanted to make sure Naomi got some of it too. So in verse 15, when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. If she gets past the corner and gets out into the field a little too much, let it go. And then verse 16, and let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it so she may glean and do not rebuke her. So now these guys, they're taking their things and as they're loading them on the cart, they're like shaking it a little bit to have some of it fall off so Ruth can get a good supply. And uh, I don't know if Boaz normally did this kind of thing. I don't know if he did it because he thought Ruth was beautiful. The Bible only mentions he was attracted by her character, by who she was and what she did. So in verse 17, so... She gleaned in the field until evening, all day long. How many of you have ever worked in a field all day long? <laughs> yeah. You remember the falls that were members here a long time back? Uh, they'd been sharecroppers way back in the day, and they worked in the field all day long. And nowadays, we, we've got cotton fields around here, and I watch the machines come through. And they, But in the old days people would have to reach in and grab out that cotton and pull it out of there and stick it in their pouch and they get their hands torn up. It was tough, hard work. Well, you know, harvesting uh, barley or wheat wasn't nearly as difficult, but it's still hard and chafing on the hands. And she did it all day long. She showed up in the morning. She worked all day long. Now, uh, at the verse 17, it says, she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. So, how big's an ephah of barley? That's not a term we don't we use. I mean, you go to Fry, or Safeway right over here, Fry's right down there. You walk in, you say, hi, I would like to buy an ephah of wheat. Now, I'll tell you what would happen. If it's a young clerk, they'd say, uh, let me get the manager. Okay. If it's an older one who's been around a while, they'd just say, sorry, we don't do that kind of measurement here. So, I got a bag with me today. I brought my knife in the bag, my cutter. So, you see about how big this is? Okay. After Ruth had worked to harvest, and then, uh, can you go back one slide just... Or, 
Can you go to the beginning of that slide and get the text off? Thanks. You see there at the head of it, in, in that head, you see, can you see the breakdown? You see little tiny lumps in that head? So what she did is she beat it out and then she blew away or used the ch chaff to drive away the, the loose stuff. So what's left is the grain. So of all of that, then she's going to get a little bit of grain from that one thing, each one a little bit. And so when she get it in ephah, she filled up four of these bags with the grain. And they didn't have nice cool shoulder straps to hang on to. Uh, they just put it in a carry-all and tied it up and then slung it over their back and carried it. She, she had a load to carry home. She had worked hard all day. But because of Boaz's generosity, she got way more than would have been normal. So that was nice of nice for her and, and good work by her. So she goes back home and verse 18, she took it up and went into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. So when she ate and she kept part of it because she'd had enough, she then gave that to Naomi to help feed her. And verse 19, her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. Pause right there a moment. Naomi knew what Ruth brought home was not the normal harvest. Normally, she might have been able to fill one of those bags. She filled four of them. And so this was abundant. And Naomi recognized that. So she said, blessed be the Lord. And uh, so the middle of verse 19. So Ruth told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Verse 20, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Now, in our culture, being a close relative doesn't mean quite as much as it did in their culture. In their culture, Families were more tribal. In their culture, families hung together. How many of you, don't, don't raise your hand yet, but just a minute, raise your hand. How many of you have either experienced being estranged from one of your kids or one of your siblings, or you know somebody who's had to do that and has suffered that separation? Raise your hand if you've experienced it or you know of it. A lot of us know of people who've had to go through that. Some of you have experienced that. But in their culture, if Naomi as a widow came back to Bethlehem, then the near family members, the tribal family, they were supposed to provide for her. In fact, you remember the rules that uh, Paul gave to Timothy uh, as Timothy was working with the different churches and helping them. Paul said, hey, you cannot take a widow in if she has relatives because the relatives are supposed to take care of her. And so that was the rule in their culture, in their way. The family was supposed to provide and care. And I know Kathy and I at one point went through a, a brutal financial thing and we got money in the mail from family members that we weren't expecting that to happen. And then the first time that I went on a mission trip to Cuba, we had several family members write checks to help us uh, get the money to be able to make that mission trip to Cuba because family helps and it's supposed to. Now, not everybody in your family works the same way. And some people withdraw themselves from the family. And they're no longer actively engaged with the family. And that's kind of their loss because they're missing out on the blessings of being connected. So now look in verse number 20. Ruth said, Blessed be the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and dead. What did, Ruth, what did Naomi say just a little bit before this? God has abused me. God has hated me. God has turned against me. We read that last week. 
The Lord has brought me home empty. And the Lord is against me. And now she's saying the Lord has blessed me. The only difference in her circumstances. Ruth had brought a lot of food into the house. It's a little hard to trust God when you're really hungry. But also, there was a family member who she knew had reached out to help and bless. What if somebody knew you reached out to bless them? How much could you encourage them through that? Uh, look, he said uh, in verse 21, sorry, 21, Ruth said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. See, God is providing through Boaz. Uh, Ruth, when she left Moab and went to Israel with Naomi, she chose to follow the Lord God. But it was not an easy path. She was a foreigner. Her skin looked different. She spoke with an accent. The laws of Israel were not kind to the Moabites. And she was very aware that she was different. But she chose to follow the God of Israel. She was a widow who left all of her relatives behind. So she was making herself totally dependent on Naomi and Naomi's relatives. But she was also planning to work. She wasn't looking for somebody to take responsibility. She was taking responsibility for both herself and for her mother-in-law. So, some things to think about as we consider this passage of Scripture. One is, don't look for handouts. Earn a paycheck. Don't look for handouts. Earn a paycheck. Uh, uh, this picture, there's a village up on the hill there, and uh, then there's fields around the village, and this was the closest I could find in doing a really quick search on the Internet. Uh, so there's a little village, and then there's fields, and these fields aren't barley fields, but uh, when, when Ruth went out to serve, the, the people would stay in the village, and then they would go out into the fields. And so every day, there would be people going out, and every day, people coming back. It wasn't like the traffic jams you get in Phoenix during so-called rush hour, which is actually not. Uh, but it, it was people going in the same direction and coming back in the same direction. They were walking, they were ready to go to work, and they were ready to serve all day. So they would go out and they would work in the fields. And if you're paid to work all day, then work all day. If you just take a, a quick look through here, Ruth said in verse 2, let me go out and serve. And so Naomi said, go. And then in verse 3, Ruth went and then she gleaned in the field after the reapers. And then in verse 7, she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers as she got to the field and talked to the workers there. And then the end of verse 15, or the beginning of verse 15, sorry, uh, when she rose up to glean after they had a short break, she got back up and she went out to work. In verse 17, she had served all day. So if you are paid to work, then work. Uh, don't shirk. Uh, fill up your labor. Do it well. And now some report, verse 23, it said she worked through the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And some suggest that barley harvest was two to three months, March through May. And the wheat harvest was two to three months, May through June, July, sorry. And then Ruth could have worked for four to six months or 150 days minus the Sabbath day when she wouldn't have worked. Um, so it's appropriate to work when you're working. But it's also appropriate to take rest sometimes. Just look at the end of verse 7. At the end of verse 7. 
Uh, she came and has continued from morning till now, though she rested a little in the house. So that resting, that was okay. You need to take a break. Uh, even verse 15, she rose up to glean again. Well, she had stopped gleaning for a while and she had rested a little bit. And then uh, verse 14 said, uh, Boaz called her over to sit and rest and eat some bread and dip it in the vinegar. And then the beginning of verse 18 she took it up and went into the city. She didn't just keep going all night. Years ago, Awana tried to come up with a catchy name for their youth ministries uh, that they now call Trek and Journey. And they came up with 24-7 youth ministries because we're on all the time. How many of you are on all the time? You know, you're, you're not. Now, I did have a friend who was in his 80s who... He had never needed more than four hours sleep ever in his entire life. You might remember him. You got Wally Williams. Do you remember him? From Texas, Pastor Johnson and he were really good friends. We were in the same church in Tucson years ago, uh, 40 years ago now. Uh, but but uh, Wally Williams never needed more than four hours sleep. And so his parents, when they would put him to bed at night, would make sure he had books to look at in the morning and they'd go sleep all night. He'd sleep a few hours and then look through all of his books and uh, by the time he was in first grade, he was reading long books and really enjoyed it. And he always had energy and he bounced when he walked and had super energy. He never needed much sleep. But you need to get as much sleep as you need. Some people need nine or ten hours sleep. I only do that when I'm sick or taking pain meds or something like that. Uh, but some people, they thrive on getting more than eight hours. It's not wrong to rest. It's not wrong to take a vacation. Ruth worked all through the harvest, but they didn't then go immediately into another harvest. There was a break after the harvest. Uh, so Jesus himself modeled a rhythm of working diligently and then resting. He even would call his disciples out for rest. So you should be known for two things. When you're working, you're working. And you should also be known for taking care of your body through resting. Okay? Secondly, it's not wrong to have money and own property, but you need to use it wisely. It's not wrong, but you need to use it wisely. So Boaz was a wealthy landowner. Communism says you should not own land. The state should own all the land, and you should not employ servants. You should just work in the field with them. Socialism says you should work really hard, but then you should share your profits, even with those who choose not to work. Capitalism says you should use your workers to further your own financial gain. But God says you should use your land and your profits to support the work of the Lord, to take care of your family, to help others, and if you have employees or servants, you are to be kind and gracious, remembering that the Lord is your boss. And God is very concerned about how you treat your employees. He wants you to be respectful. He wants you to be fair and generous toward them. So some of the people in here are bosses or managers or supervisors in the jobs where they work. God carries very much how you work with the people who work with you. So, for 2 Timothy 6, 17-19, Paul gives this instruction to Timothy, and he says, Command those who are rich to give away all their money to the poor. Is that, is that what it said? Do you recall reading that? No, Jesus said that one time to one person. One time to one person. Jesus didn't make it a universal teaching or a universal responsibility. Let's start again with what Paul said. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. Some people think they're better than other people because they have more money. Having more money doesn't make you better. It makes your life a little easier, but it doesn't make you any better. In fact, some of the richest people in America are slugs. 
They're awful, terrible people who don't treat other people well at all. So don't be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches. Don't count on your 401k to take care of you when you retire. Count on the Lord to take care of you. I had a friend here in town in 2008, he just panicked because his 401k in one day lost almost $30,000. I said, well, you know, I can fix that so it'll never happen again. He said, really? I said, yeah, give it all to me and then you don't have to worry about it. He wasn't so keen on that. I wouldn't have taken it anyway. But the truth is, don't trust in your riches. Then he goes on and says, God gives us richly all things to enjoy. So those who have money, then he adds, let them do good. Let them be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the life to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. So if God blesses you with money, then use it wisely. You know, there's one person who is trying to contribute to Grandview Camp. And that one person said, I'm going to give matching funds up to $200,000. Anything anybody gives toward this project, I will match it up to $200,000. We just have to get it in this year. And so I don't have the capacity to do that. But if you have that capacity, then there's times you can use it to bless and enrich other people and ministries. Some of the hospitals built in this country and around the world, some of the schools have been built by Christians who felt God leading them to give in this way. So it is true that some people get rich by unscrupulous ways. Some people cheat and lie and steal and rob to get rich. But Good people can also have great wealth. In addition to Boaz, name somebody in the Bible who was rich but was a good person. Job. I didn't hear that. Solomon. Solomon was a fairly decent person. He strayed away from the Lord toward the end. He certainly was rich. Abraham. Lydia in the New Testament. These people were wealthy and Lydia said, hey, I want this church to get going so let's start it in my house. The church in Philippi started in Lydia's house because she felt led, she trusted the Lord and wanted to use it for God. So Boaz used his wealth and position of influence to bless Naomi. As soon as Ruth got home carrying four bags worth of that stuff, Naomi said, God has provided. God had, has blessed. He, she knew this was not normal. And so God's people love to help others. In fact, some of the ladies in our church right now are reaching out to help a family that don't attend our church. They're, they're in our Awana program, and they have a kid in NICU, and these ladies are trying to help them and provide some meals for them. Some of the ladies in the church are just doing that. Why? Because God's people help people. And if you want to get in on that, you can talk to Naomi. Or I'm not Naomi. That's awesome. If you can talk to Naomi, it's a scary thing. You can talk to Natasha or Anna or somebody or Teresa or somebody who's involved in, in helping that. You can talk to them if you wanted to get involved in that. But listen, it's not wrong to have money or own property. But you need to use it wisely. It is wrong to just indulge yourself at the expense of other people. Use it wisely. Doesn't mean you can't drive a very nice car. Doesn't mean you can't have a very nice house. But it means if you're trusting in your wealth and trying to impress people with your house and car, you're not using your money the way God wants your money to be used. So follow him. Third thing that we see in this passage of scripture is that your job is part of your ministry. Your job is part of your ministry. On the job, Boaz had a testimony of following God. He would show up in the field and he would call out to the workers and they would respond to him out of respect for God and for each other. That was a normal routine in his life. He didn't just say, hey, how's it going? No, he talked to them about the Lord. 
He brought God into the conversation. On the job, he had that testimony. And you and I should have that testimony as well. On the job. Okay, i got to tell you, it's a little easier as a pastor to have a testimony for God on the job. But I wasn't always a pastor. I spent half of my life not being a pastor. And I served in a lot of different functions in the Marine Corps and as a business manager. And God gave me the opportunity to lead coworkers to the Lord everywhere I have served, except while serving as a pastor. Because my coworkers are already believers. But I've had opportunity to lead people in the community to the Lord, but not co-workers to the Lord. But I did in the Marine Corps. I did as a business manager because we talk about God. We bring God into the conversation. And Boaz recognized Ruth's decision to come to Israel as a spiritual decision. And in front of her workers, he praised her for her spiritual decision. Your job is part of your ministry. Now, if you ask, if you ask me, what ministries are Tim Pennock, is Tim Pennock involved in? Well, as a church, I could say, well, he serves as a deacon. He serves as a co-director of our WANA program with his wife, Clorinda. They also serve in our journey club, the high school that's going to meet at five o'clock tonight, right across the hallway over there. They serve on Thursday nights helping oversee the club, but also then working with the uh, junior group, the TNTers, uh, third, fourth, and fifth grade. Uh, he helps in that. So uh, uh, he teaches the Bible class here. If you were here for the Bible class this morning, then you were blessed to learn. Tim's an excellent teacher, and he, he was teaching that. So yes, he's involved in ministries here. But you know an area of ministry that he has that's he does more hours at that than he does here? That's his job. And he has to minister for the Lord on his job. And have a testimony for the Lord on the job. Your job is part of your ministry. How you serve on the job is because you are a servant of God. And you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not, I do this, you know, Tim goes, he does the job so he can get to his ministry. Job is part of his ministry. Don't quit the other stuff though, dude. We need you, okay? But the job is part of his ministry. Secondly, or fourthly, your, your kindness is part of your testimony too. Your kindness is part of your testimony. Uh, look at what Ruth says in verse 11, or what Boaz says in verse 11. It's been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and come to a people whom you did not know. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel. Boaz is saying, I know your testimony. Your kindness to Naomi is part of your testimony. And then Boaz's kindness to Ruth was part of his testimony. As he, he told them, uh, hey, guys, when she's out working in the field, drop a little extra for her. Shake a little extra down on the ground. Make it a little easier for her because she has a really hard life right now. And so we can help make it better. His kindness was part of his testimony of following God. And Ruth's kindness was part of her testimony of following God. I shared this before. I can't remember the last time I did. But um, I was going up to the high school. And uh, not this high school. In another community where I'd served as a pastor before I came here. And there was a young lady who was part of our youth group who was involved in the ministry at our church. And, and uh, I walked into the school because I had a meeting with an administrator there about an issue that I thought the school was handling inappropriately. And so I wanted to go talk to him about it. And, and this girl walks by, hey, pastor, you know. And then the director of the school, the administrator I was meeting with, said, how do you know her? And I saw she goes to my church. And then he did this. She goes to church? 
There's awkward moments in our lives sometimes. That was one of them. I said, not everybody who goes to church wholly follows the Lord. But we should. I said, in the same way where you work, not every teacher really loves and cares for the kids. But they should. And he agreed with that. What if we turn that around? What if that girl had been kind and gracious and then she'd come by, Hi, Pastor Green. The administrator might have turned to me and said, Oh, she goes to your church? What, what a difference that would have made to his impression of our ministry. So your kindness is part of your testimony. I love this picture. There's a young kid being kind to an old guy. There's an old guy who looks a lot like my age, Green. There's an old guy who's being kind to a young guy. And they're being kind to each other. I don't know if it's grandpa and grandson or great-grandson. I just know there's an old guy and a young guy, and they're being kind to each other. And that's how we're supposed to be, kind to each other. Not because we're the same peer group, not because we look exactly the same, but because we're all following the same Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when you follow God, he will get you to the place you need to be. When you follow God, he will get you to the place you need to be. I like this picture. There's this little trail working up the road, and this guy's heading down that trail. Ruth just happened to be in Boaz's field. Did you notice that earlier in the chapter? Um, and uh, so it says when she, verse 3, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Just happened to. Now, let's say this is how it is, okay? See where Roger and Marilyn are sitting? Okay, that's the hot seat. You didn't know it before now. Okay, now let's just picture Roger and Marilyn. They're the village, okay? Now, the village and you're, you're going out to work in the field. When you leave where Roger and Marilyn are in the field, which direction are you going to go? Well, they could have gone north. She could have gone south. She could have gone east. She could have gone west. She could have gone northeast. She could have gone southeast. She could have gone north-northeast or east-northeast. She could have gone all over the place. But when she left the house, all she knew is I'm going out to glean in a field. But she ended up in exactly the right field, in exactly the right place, the field that was owned by the guy who happened to be a relatively close family member, by a guy who would reach out and help them. And we'll see later in the book, a guy who would become family with her God put her exactly where she needed to be. Ruth didn't know that. Naomi didn't know that. Naomi didn't say, oh, when you go out, make sure you go kind of east, northeast, and end up in Boaz's field. Maybe that'll work out. She didn't do that. And Ruth just went out to a field. Now, some of you are young. Some of you have no idea what God's going to do with your life. Uh, if you're an older teen, you've got uh, an idea of what you think he might do. But you don't know yet. I mean, I was still 19, barely, when I felt God called me to preach. Uh, but until then, I had no idea that I would enjoy spending my life serving at a church. I, it just didn't seem like anything that would be enjoyable to me at all. But God work and God put us in the right place and God will get you where you need to be so let me tell you teenagers in particular don't stress over what you think you want to do for the rest of your life I mean some of you really want to do weird stuff like stick your fingers inside people's mouths but listen Michaela wants to be a dentist someday an orthodontist a dentist she has seen them a lot over the years and, and appreciates their work. 
but don't stress over what you're going to do. Focus on who you're going to be. And follow Christ. He'll get you on the right path. Follow Him. Might not be the path you had planned, the, the, the goals you had laid out for yourself. Follow Him. Ecclesiastes 9 says these words, I returned and saw unto the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happens to them all. But you know, God works through what seems like time and chance. He works through it. So God provides through Boaz because God put Ruth in the right place, in the right field, at the right time to see the right person. God works through Boaz in their lives and God works through you in the lives of others. He will use other people to bless your life and he will use you to bless their lives. Just trust him, follow him, and let him work out the details of how that will be. He's pretty good at it. He's been doing this forever. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would trust and follow you as Ruth did, that we would serve you Thank you for your love and grace and your forgiveness to us. Thank you for this story, this historical record in the Bible that tells of true people, real living people who made sometimes poor decisions, sometimes wise decisions. And we see the wisdom of doing the right thing. I pray that we would trust and follow you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.